Okay, um, well, if you're guests with us, you don't know, we do have a children's ministry that elementary age, they sing with us, and then we dismiss the elementary age. And Teresa Cash, the leader of our elementary age on Sunday morning, she has it today. Everybody say thank you, Teresa. All right, elementary age kids, you are now dismissed to go with Teresa into Kids Club. <clears throat> Let's do this. We just let you rest your legs, right? All right, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you just a couple more moments to rest your legs. Do y'all like resting your legs? Do y'all like that? Amen? No? Okay. I want to do a couple things here. We're going to, as we set up for the message. Am I creating curiosity yet? Okay. I promise you, you're not going to see a scooter today, right? No scooter. All right. Now, I want you today, I, I need to find two types of people in our congregation today, all right? Two types of people. I need to find someone who loves, I mean loves, sparkling water. We got anybody that loves sparkling water in here today? We've got, we got some sparkling water people, okay? Now, who loves, let's call it limoncello sparkling water, right? We know limoncello, right? We got some limoncello lovers, okay? All right, now. I need to locate some haters. I'm talking straight up haters who hate sparkling water, detest it, hate, okay, okay, okay. You can't hate God, you can't hate people, but apparently you're allowed to hate sparkling water. Okay, good. I got you located, all right? Now do this. Would you stand in reverence to the reading of God's word? I'm going to come back to you guys here in just a little bit. We want to get you located. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 13 today. And if you're guests with us, we've been preaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. The, the theme of the book is the gospel for the week. What a great book to read. Paul is showing his ministry credentials to a group, uh, to the Corinthians who are doubting his credentials because he suffers so much and he is making a point to them in the book as a whole, this idea of actually all my weaknesses show my credentials, Right? Now we're picking it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, and by the way, we passed around um, papers, right? Pass them around if you have not yet. You should, you should have an outline with some of the notes here today, a note for outline. So um, they're being passed around right now. Would you join with me in verse 1? I'll, I'll read it for us. Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1, and if you're, the title is The Contradictions of Ministry. The Contradictions of Ministry. Chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says this. And working together with him, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. By the way, he's quoting from Isaiah 49.8. He says in verse 3, give no, offense, give no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, by commending ourselves as ministers of God in much perseverance, and afflictions, and distresses, and hardships, and beatings, and imprisonments, and disturbances, and labors, and sleeplessness, and hunger, and purity, and knowledge, and patience, and kindness, and Holy Spirit, in unhypocritical love, in the word of truth, and the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and the left. By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, 
as unknown, yet well known, as dying, and yet behold we live, as punished, and yet not put to death, as sorrowful, but always rejoicing, as poor, but making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide to us also. Would you pray over this with me? We ask for help today. We need help. We need help to, Holy Spirit, for you to shine the light on this passage. We need help to make sure that we are opening up and exposing. We are expositing God's word. We are, we are looking to what did the original recipients understand? What is the authorial intent? And God, let us be able to apply so that we could love you, glorify you. This word is sufficient for our life. Let this be today. Let our message do that. Let the words we say as we apply, as we illustrate, as we do all the things to expose the text. Let us do that for your glory and honor. And God's people said, amen. You can be seated. So if you notice, we're, right, we've got some construction going on. We've got all of our stuff um, that's up against the walls here. It looks a little disheveled. We've had to clear out the very back. But you know what's really exciting being in this auditorium? You know what's really exciting about this kind of renovation? Does anybody know what's really exciting? Anybody got, you got to guess what's really exciting about the renovation? A refrigerator in here. How awesome is that? A refrigerator. Have you ever had like the mini fridge for like your own bedroom or your own, you know, like or your office at work and you just thought, I have arrived, right? In glory, I am hoping God gives me a mini fridge, right? But God is good when? And God's done more than that. He's given us more than a mini fridge. He's given us a fridge. Amen? Amen. What's in this fridge? You can't see? I don't want to be a stumbling block that you can see in here, you know, and, and, and focus on your next meal. Focus on this meal, right? Oh, but look, I did find something in here. Look at this. Uh-oh. Does anybody know what this is? Lemon cello, right? Lemon cello. You guys on the front row are probably regretting this now, right? Is this, is, is. Is he, yeah, is, he, is he about to go Gallagher on us? <laughs> if you don't know who Gallagher is, that means you're not old. <laughs> That's exactly what that means. Lemon cello. You know, this is now the most popular LaCroix drink, lemon cello, right? By the way, yeah, real people drink this all the time. By the way, it, all you haters on LaCroix, uh, right, uh, it, I need you to understand, this is Jesus' drink right here. <laughs> It is Jesus' drink. Listen, listen. Do you know in French what LaCroix means? The cross, right? The, so, <laughs> oh, zing, zing. Okay, I need two people to volunteer. I'm not going to embarrass you. All you have to be is honest. I need one of you who are who love LaCroix, especially Limoncello. Can I get a just come on up here? Can I get a volunteer? Just come on. I'm not going to embarrass you. Okay? We got a LaCroix lover. All right, give Ashley a hand. All right, come right here. Come right here. 
Just come on up here. Everybody say hi, Ashley. Okay, Ashley, I'm going to give you a LaCroix. Now, I... Okay. Would you open that up for me? Okay, would you take a drink and tell us, tell us what you think about this limoncello drink? What, what, this, so we know. What's your opinion? Lemon cookies, and it's very good. And it's very good, right? Can I get an amen from all the LaCroix lovers? So, because she said this is good, I'm just going to kind of get rid of it and drop it in here. Is that, the, the, that hurts your heart, doesn't it? Yeah, that really hurts our heart. Right now, can I get a hater? Can I get a hater? Right, all right, come on. Everybody give Holly a hand right here. This is Holly. Come on up here, right here, Holly. Okay, tell us this, what? I'm in a family of LaCroix lovers, okay. and I'm the odd one out. And she's the odd one out. Okay, open this up. Take a drink and give us your honest opinion of this. It tastes like static. It tastes like static. <laughs> Okay, tastes like static, right? One time uh, we were at a restaurant and I was trying to describe what I wanted. And the person didn't understand sparkling water or anything of that nature. So they called it spicy water, right? You want spicy water. Is that what you want? I guess, yes. Okay, so it's no good, right? Therefore, I'm now justified to trash these babies, right? Yes? No. Wait a minute. But she doesn't like it. Oh, there are other people that do. Yeah, but, I mean, wouldn't it make more sense, though, because somebody doesn't like it, we just need to do away with it all together, right? No? Okay. You may return back to your seats. If you have a family member that's not afraid to drink after you, Holly, maybe you can pass a LaCroix to them. They give it to your mom, right? Okay. Heather, you'll be okay. You've got a LaCroix in service, right? Amen. Now, why did I bring up this kind of uh, box of LaCroix? By the way, there's several in here, right? And they're cold, and they feel really good, right? Now, here's the deal. People have different opinions about this kind of stuff, right? Obviously, uh, I wouldn't trash the rest of this just because I had one negative thing, one, uh, one person that didn't commend this, right? We wouldn't do that, right? Because there's several positive things. But have you ever noticed in life, that's kind of how we treat things. If there's one thing that's negative, get rid of it. Yeah, someone said we cancel things. You know what's really interesting when we look at our text today? The title, if, you've, if you uh, were able to get um, an outline, the title of the message today is The Contradictions of Ministry. And what's really interesting in our text today, well, we're going to start off, actually, if you go back over to verse 8 through 10. We'll start there. And what's interesting? Paul was doing ministry, doing lots of good ministry to the Corinthians. And one of the things interesting is in his ministry, when you look at it, especially in verses 8 through 10, there's all sorts of ministry contradictions, right? Where there's good things and there's bad things. And what's interesting is just because there's bad things, he doesn't give up. Now, 
remember in the text he's trying to defend, as you look at the book, many times he's defending his ministry. And I love that this man, Paul, is not even trying to hedge his bets on this kind of thing. He's still being honest about all the difficulties that are involved in ministry. But you see that there's some contradictions in ministry, some good things and some negative things. But none of it causes him to give up. And there's a reason why. But oftentimes this is what I've noticed. Uh, for instance, uh, by the way, this ministry is not, this message is not just about ministry. Uh, it has even a bigger, ap- a big application. But I've noticed this. Most guys who go into any kind of vocational pastoral ministry, on average, they last about three to five years, which is really sad because you'll take three to ten years to train for pastoral ministry, but yet three to five years, you're going to be gone. And on average, and here's the reason why, most cannot take the contradictions in ministry, Right? Some people will sing your praises. It's like drinking a nice, crisp can of LaCroix, right? Lemon Jello. They will sing the praises. Then some people will take a drink of the same can and think, this is terrible, right? Get rid of it forever. And there are so many ministry contradictions that a lot of times people can't take it. We let the negative, we let, um, we let that just drown out everything good. Ever done that? God's doing a lot of great things in life, but you take one thing and focus on it and act like life isn't worth living, right? Sound familiar? Ever done it? So just because one person doesn't like like LaCroix, just because Holly back here hasn't repented, right, before God and, <laughs> and bowed the knee to the cross, right, and just loved, everybody's going to be like, Nick, I am never volunteering for any of your illustrations again. Forget about it. We don't get rid of the whole box, Right? Now, Paul, in our text, is really interesting. He, has, he catalogs some ministry contradictions. And the reason he's doing this, he's trying to let them know, just because there are contradictions in my ministry, and, and I'm going to say contradictions. I'm not saying with his own ethics. I'm saying with all the things he suffers, there's good and there's bad. There's positive, there's negative. He, he doesn't lose heart. He doesn't give up. And there's a reason why. And we'll look at that for the rest of the text. But take a look at verse 8 and what's interesting. Look in verse 8. So now he gets to some paradoxes of ministry, and he says in verse 8, by glory and dishonor, meaning in my own ministry, Corinthian church, you're believing all the negative things, these false apostles who've infiltrated the Corinthian church and have told you my ministry to you and the gospel message of the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is not authentic and real because there's dishonor in his life. There's things that, I mean, his, his, his body is being broken down. He's suffering persecution constantly. So Paul says in verse 8, by glory and dishonor, these two ministry contradictions, he experiences, some people will say, Paul, look at the ministry, look how the word of God has spread. It's amazing what you, what, what's happened in your missionary travels. Then some would say opposite and say, that just means that you're suffering more. Keep looking at verse 8, by evil report and what? You know, a lot of guys who are in ministry go into it in their first couple of months They'll be at a new church, and that church will sing their praises, right? Then the honeymoon ends, and then all of a sudden they find that some things they've done may not meet the expectations of everybody, and there's an evil report, and it's not as good of a report, and they can't take it. They can't take the ministry contradictions that happen, and they'll think, well then, I just need to throw the whole thing away and get rid of it. And remember, this isn't just about ministry, although that's the context, but I have seen people do this in their marriages a thousand times over, where... Not, everything's not as they pictured in their Disney movie of their mind, and they'll get rid of the marriage because everything's not meeting their expectations. 
So he says there's an evil report and a good report. He says he is regarded as deceivers and yet true. Some guys in ministry, they can't take it where they focus their life on delivering the truth of God's word, but yet it seems like they're second-guessed and doubted. And you'll see, guys, they just give up really quick. They don't realize that sheep in a church, you're to love your sheep, but sometimes sheep bite, right? And they can't take it. They can't take this contradiction of things. And then they just try to throw it all away. By the way, it's not just ministry people. We do that all the time, right? We let that one thing. You could be working so faithfully at your job for decades, and one person gets promoted instead of you. And all of a sudden, the thought is, I got to get on LinkedIn. I got to check out my options. They obviously don't value me. I need to go somewhere else. We are prone that anytime there's a contradiction, anytime there's a paradox like this, in our, even in our workplace, we'll just throw the whole entire thing away when there actually is so much good. But how do you even get there? That's the, that's the question, the tension. Well, then how do I do this, Nick? How, what do I do when that time comes, when the contradictions in life and here in our Texas ministry, how do I wrestle with that? How do I get through that? Great question. We'll answer it. Keep looking at verse 9. As unknown, yet well-known. By the way, what I've noticed with guys in ministry um, right now, I don't know if it's always been here, but a lot of guys get in ministry, and I notice this. They have this idea that they're going to be pastoring a 5,000-member church, and people are going to sing their praises and roll down a red carpet, and they probably won't get home until 4 or 5 o'clock that night because they're signing everybody's Bibles, right? And that, that thing just doesn't happen, right? But yet they want to be known. But what you also see this, and by the way, if you ever, if you're online or you're here and you, you're, and, and by the way, we have guests here all the time. We may have some guests. You may be new in town wondering, like, where, where does the Lord want me to go to church? Like, man, praying for you. I have no idea what it's like to try to find a church because I just basically get hired by a church, right? I mean, like, I, I have no option to visit really ever, right? Or it's been decades. But here's one thing. If you ever want to vet a church out, go look at the social media platforms of its leadership, Right? And here's what I've noticed. Go to Twitter, or it's not even called Twitter anymore. It's called X or something like that. Am I saying that right? It's weird, whatever. Um, but notice this. I'll notice a pastor who is so focused on being well-known. It's almost like he's living for the applause, right? You'll look and see how many Twitter followers he has, and then you'll look at how many he's following. And a guy may have 5,000 people following him, but guess how many people he's following? 5,000, right? just so he can get a follow back. Trying to live, trying to not live in obscurity and do ministry in obscurity. He wants to make a name for himself. Those guys will throw it all away as soon as there's something negative, right? They don't know how to live in the world of the contradictions, and it's going to happen. You can't not expect in a fallen world that everything's going to be perfect. Unmet expectations are a reason that so many people today are down and discouraged and are experiencing feelings of depression the unmet expectations, the contradictions that happen. Look in verse 9, he says this, Dying, and yet behold, we live. As punished, and yet not put to death. If you know anything and you've read in chapter 11 how much punishment he's been, and the Lord has not decided to take him to glory yet. Just the contradictions of it. Look in verse 10. As sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Can you imagine that? You can be rejoicing in the midst of sorrow. You can praise through the pain. But a lot of people can't get this. And when they can't get this, 
they throw everything away and just trash it. I'm not, I'm going to go past ministry. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about career. I'm talking about relationships. How many people are there in our lives that we have simply blocked them, deleted them, deleted them from our phone, have nothing to do, and just avoid them because one negative thing happened when we got rid of the relationship altogether? It's like people can't live in the contradiction sometimes. They can't live that there are going to be some bad things that happen. There are going to be some negative things. That doesn't mean we just trash the whole entire thing. So how do we not do that? So Paul, he's trying to defend himself to these people. By the way, he's not defending out of pride. He's defending for the glory of God and their good. Keep looking, verse 10. He says, as poor, yet making many rich. And when he says many rich, he's really talking about rich in Christ. As having nothing... Yet possessing all things. Paul was a man that didn't have a ton of resources. He was a tent maker. He was working by the sweat of his brow. But yet possessing all things. Now he's telling them in verse 8 through 10. And he does this over and over in the book. He's trying to help them to understand. Just because I suffer doesn't mean God has forsaken me. Man, if us as God's people could get it through our thick skull and our sinful flesh. Just because you're suffering does not mean God has cursed you. What did you expect was going to happen? Have you not read Genesis 3? I mean, are we unaware? So, what do you do? How do you not lose it? Now, Paul's trying to help them understand there's some paradoxes in his life and ministry, and they can still listen to him. They can still value the ministry that he has to them. So, what do you do? Well, before I tell you that, look what happens in verse 11 through 13. Here's the whole reason he's doing this. Our mouth has been has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. So caring and pastoral here. I, I don't know about you. These people he has spent 18 months with, has already made a couple trips, wrote letters to. I mean, he has taken great pains. And a lot of us at this point, we would already given up on these people. We would have just said, fine, if you're going to think I'm that evil... You know, bye, right? But he's still hanging in with them. Notice that he says in the text, would you just open your heart to me? I I'm telling you all these things, all these things you see as contradictions in my life. I understand there are these contradictions in ministry. I know there's suffering, but there's also joy. I know all these things, but I'm telling you this. Open your heart to the message of Christ. I've been trying to tell you, you're only saved by Jesus dying the death you deserve to die and then Raising from the dead, showing that God received and accepted his sacrifice. And you can have eternal life by calling upon his name. That's the message he's been trying to get across. There were false teachers in there that came into this Corinthian church and were teaching them other things. Such as, well yeah, you're saved by faith. But also, you got to have all these works. You earn your way to God. If you're hearing me, if you're online, if you're here, I'm going to tell you right now. You can't earn your way to God. God already earned it for you, right? By faith. Through grace, you have to realize that you are a sinner who has, who has wanted your elbow room from God. We have lied. We have deceived. We have cheated. We have stole. We have dishonored our parents. We have made idols. We have coveted what God never gave us. And that is why we need Jesus. Because the wrath of God is coming upon sins of disobedience. But Jesus lived a perfect sinless life so that on the cross... He could absorb the wrath of God our sins deserve, and then he could put his perfect righteous life on our account if we, by faith, through grace, will trust in him. I did that at 16. Have you done that? Have you done it? I pray don't leave here today until you've done it, right? 
If you don't think you can do it because you're hearing my sweet angelic voice, right? You can leave, go find a closet in this place, get on your knees before God, and the Bible promises that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Man, do it before we take communion so you can take communion with us here in just a little bit. But look at verse 11. Open your heart wide. You can only say that to a people who are saying bad things about you if something is really true and honest and pure before, before God. And I'm going to show you how he got there. Verse 12, look, he says, you are not restrained by us. You are restrained by your own affections. He's like, hey, this is on you guys. I love it. Verse 13, now in like exchange, I speak to children. Open wide to us also. How could Paul experience all these difficulties and experience all the ridiculing accusations from these Corinthians and still say, open your heart to me? Great question. Now go back to verse 1. If you're a person who has the outline, um, if you're, we're now on point one, the person of ministry. You might be thinking, man, that was a long introduction, Nick. Now to the outline? Yes, we are. But it'll go fast. Probably not. I don't know. We'll see. Verse 1. If, if it gets, if, I mean, if you get, I mean, just come up here and get your LaCroix, right? I mean, don't, I mean, don't be negative about this thing, right? There's positives, right? Just come on. I promise they're still cold, right? Look at verse 1. How does Paul not lose it with all these contradictions in ministry? How do you and I not lose it when we see all these contradictions sometimes that happen in life? Man, some of you have been working for, you, you work for a company for years and it seems like you are disposable. And you think, that's it. You work on a relationship that you, have, that you have gone to the mat for. You have lost sleep and energy for that person. And at the smallest thing, that person throws you and tosses you away and treats you as disposable. How do you come back from that? The contradictions that happen. Well, look. First, verse 1. He says in verse 1, and working together with him. Working together with him. If you have that outline, here's how you live in the contradictions. First, you got to know the person. The person. The person of ministry for Paul right here. How was Paul able to take all these negative things that are being said? Because really, all ministry that he did wasn't really for himself. It wasn't for his glory and joy. It was for the glory of God and the good of others. So he has the right person. Guys who give up on ministry early, it's because they, in some way, were really serving my ministry and not his ministry. It's all about him. For instance, when you get up tomorrow morning and go to work, when you go to work, guess who the most important person in your workplace is tomorrow? It's the Lord. It's God. It's the one true God. Oftentimes, that's not how we operate in a day. That's not how we operate in most of our relationships. The most important person in your relationships in life is not you. It's the one true God. Paul starts off in this section and says, in verse 1, and working together with him. He knows the right person in ministry. If you know the right person, that changes all your perspective. If everything you do is for the right person, it changes everything. Therefore, like for instance, if you're in pastoral ministry, then if sheep bite... You don't get bitter at sheep because you weren't doing it for their applause and approval anyways. Since when's the last time that sheep know how to applaud, right? You're living for the applause of the one true God. So I've been in ministry now for 25 years, right? It's been a long time. 
And sometimes I ask the Lord, and I, I'm going to tell you, in, in all honesty, and I hope I'm not lying on this, right? But before the Lord, I, I think I love him. I love him just as much as I did back then. I'm hoping even more now. I think I'm just as enthused about his word. In fact, I, 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 I feel more passionate about it today than I think I ever have, right? And I ask the Lord sometimes, how, how have you let me live in these contradictions at this point? It's only been by his grace. How, how come I haven't given up yet? It's only been by his grace. But I can tell you this. If, we, if I ever lose focus that this is really all about him, I'm a goner. I'm a flat-out goner. I will then pursue life under my own direction for my own pleasures and not his. So Paul didn't give in to the contradictions. It didn't discourage him. He's telling them about it, but it didn't weigh him down ultimately because he knew he was working together with him. He knew the person. This is how you actually keep going. I, I've, even in my life, I, I really thought at this point in ministry that life would look... I remember when I first got in the ministry you know, decades ago, I had this vision of where I would be in my mid-40s, and it doesn't look near what I had envisioned. Near, not near, right? I mean, um, I mean if we're just being all honest. I mean, like, if you, some of you that can see are, are, are like budget numbers, right? We have, like, the greatest church and, like, the most unity we've had. Like, it's just so sweet here. But, like, this church has never experienced a plenty of money, right? And it still doesn't even to this day. And you wonder, like, man, what is God doing? But I want to tell you something that encourages me. I'm not concerned about the dollar. I'm concerned about, is this all about him? Like, that's what, uh, and, and if you can keep your focus, that this is all about the person of ministry, the person of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. You don't look down, you look up. How could Paul do this? He, he, he knew who he was in ministry with. Paul's ministry wasn't about himself. Look back at verse 1. And working together, together. Man, as long as you know who you're working for and working with, it changes the whole entire perspective. So Paul wouldn't be worried about everything because he knew in the end he's working with the one true God, the creator God who's infinite, unlimited. And why are you going to be worried, Paul, about anything else? I think that's us sometimes. I think that's us a lot of times. So Paul knows the person of ministry. So he's not going to freak out with all the paradoxes that happen. But not only that, now go to point number two on your outline. He not only knows the person of ministry, but he has the priorities of ministry. He has his priorities right. If you know the person, then you'll have the priorities right. Look in verse 2. For he says, at the acceptable time... Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Go back to verse 1b, really. Now look what he says. We also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I listened to you. And on the day of salvation I helped you. He's quoting from Isaiah what was said to the children of Israel. That they'd be coming back from exile someday. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It was pointing back to them coming back from exile, but what, what Paul's doing is taking it and using it in application form to say it's time for you to come from the exile of sin back into the arms of God. Now notice in the text, he has the priorities of ministry right. The priority of ministry life is that you would, bring, that you would make disciples that make disciples. And the first part of disciple-making, you can't have a disciple, so that disciple's in Jesus, right? And so the first priority he's giving is making sure that the grace of God is not in vain in your life. He's trying to make sure, do you know that you know? Is Jesus your Lord and King? That's his ministry priority right here. 
Now look what he says. We also plead with you. Do y'all see the word plead? Y'all see that? Someone asked me this past week and said, when you present the gospel to somebody, I mean, you know, I, maybe you shouldn't ask for, um, maybe you shouldn't ask for a response from them or to ask them if they want to come to Christ now. You know, shouldn't we hold back on that? And my answer is absolutely not. Now don't twist their, don't twist their elbow and try to manipulate them into bowing the knee to Christ. But no, actually, anytime you present the gospel, it's a great opportunity to ask them, would they like, would they like to bow the knee? Would they like to trust Christ? What, are you ready for this good news? This is not a bad thing, making the invitation. And, and how can I justify that answer to somebody? We'll look back in the text. We also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Plead with you. We said this last week because it was in the text. When was the last time we pled with somebody? Like we presented the gospel to them and we prayed for them. We presented the gospel to them and said, hey, has anything like this happened to you? Would you like to trust Christ? Is God saying anything to you right now? What do you think about this life, death, real resurrection I just told you about? He pleads with them. That's a man who knows the person of ministry, but he also knows the priority of ministry. I think sometimes we don't know the priority of ministry. Now, what's interesting, look at the text. He says this, We also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, he's writing to the church at Corinth. That means there's people there in this church who say they're in Christ, but not in Christ. Some who have believed in vain. They have received the grace of God in vain. What does he mean when he says receive the, God, the grace of God in vain? There have been some in that congregation that have made a profession of Christ, but don't really have a possession of Christ. There are some that have paid, some that have paid lip service, but not heart service, right? There are some that have tried to get just the fire insurance, but they haven't got the Lord. This happens all the time. There's people in the Corinthian church, if you read 1 Corinthians, that were saying, yes, I'm in Christ, but I don't believe that he resurrected from the dead. If you don't believe that, so, that Christ is resurrected from the dead, I'm sorry, you can't be saved, right? You have to believe that. There were some that were saying you're saved by believing, by doing certain good works to earn God's merit and not just by faith alone. I'm sorry, you're not saved if that's what you believe. It's not on our own merits. Now, in Christ, we may start working by faith, but we aren't saved by our works, not whatsoever. So there are some in the Corinthian church that had received God's grace, but they received it in vain. They truly weren't trusting in the, that Jesus died for their sins according to the scriptures, he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. They were believing in what they could do. People do this all the time. They try to clean themselves up before they come to the Lord as if, as, as if that's the only way God will accept them. Now notice what he says in verse 2. Quoting from Isaiah, he now says this, Now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're hearing my voice, if you're online and you're hearing my voice, and you know that Jesus is not your Savior and Lord. You have not confessed him. You've not confessed him. If you know that, and that's you, based on this text, I can tell you right now, now's the time. I don't know what else you're waiting for. If there was one strategy of Satan, if I was Satan, and I'm not, just... <laughs> but if I was Satan, here's the one thing I'd tell you to do. I wouldn't tell you not to get saved. I'd tell you, wait. That's the one thing I'd do. I wouldn't tell you, don't. I'd just say, 
put this off a little bit longer. Now, I'm not saying don't get your questions answered, but I am saying this. Nothing else in life is more important than getting your questions answered. I run across people all the day that will say, well, I haven't come to trust Christ as Savior because I have all these questions. I have these questions. And then my thought is, how aggressively are you pursuing those questions? If you're using that as just some kind of nice way to kind of delay this, then, friend, you're, running, you're, you're actually playing games with God. And here's what the Word says. Now's the time. What are you waiting for? What more do you need? Now's the time. Are you saved? Do you know Christ? Is he your Savior? Have you professed him? Have you trusted him as Lord and Savior? Have you, have you professed that you have broken God's commandments and you deserve the wrath of God? You deserve to spend eternity in a place called hell? Have you? I know it's not popular to say that, but it's actually true. I'm not trying to scare you, uh, scare you into salvation, but I am trying to tell you the truth. I mean, if Paul says he pled with them, there must have been some reason. If he's saying now's the accepted time, now's the day of salvation, there's a reason. Now, here's what I love. Paul knew the person. Therefore, these ministry contradictions didn't weigh him down. He actually could even talk about them and continue to try to promote, open your heart to me, Corinthians. Listen to the words that I have as your apostle. So he knew the person, but he also knew the priority. So he was more focused on accomplishing the mission that God had for him to make disciples starting with salvation than he was about the opinions of man. Isn't it crazy how many things in life will destroy us? The opinions of man control almost everything we do in life sometimes. The fear of man and what he thinks about us. Have we ever stopped and said, what does God think about us? So I love being a Christian. Because you have, when you are a Christian, you have no one to fear but the one true God. Right? And if you know him and you know his priorities, you walk in a way that's bold and fearless. And what's the worst man could ever do to you? He'd kill you. And I love Paul. Right? I love what, Paul, what happens when they tell Paul, well, we're going to kill you. Great. I'll be with Jesus, right? <laughs> well, we're going to beat you. Well, great. Now I can just suffer for his name, right? You just couldn't win with this guy. Man, that, that is the kind of person that, that God wants us to be through him. But that kind of person has to know the person and the priorities. If the person and the priorities are there, you're able to live in the contradictions, right? And I'll show this to you. Keep looking at verse 3. Now we're on point number 3, the perseverance in ministry. Because Paul knew the person of ministry, he knew the priority of ministry, he was now able to persevere in ministry. Look in verse 3. He says this, giving no cause for offense in anything, so the ministry will not be discredited. Remember, he's, he has to continually defend his ministry credibility to these people. I'm just telling you, what a gut check for me, because at this point I probably would have said, if you don't like me, fine. <laughs> you can go away. I will never say one more thing to you, Right? I don't need you. Bye, Felicia. I mean, like, anything that you could do, get rid of them. But no, what does he say? I don't want my ministry to be discredited to you. As a father in the faith, I've done some hard work with you. I don't want to let go of you. By the way, read back 1 Corinthians. It's not like these were an easy people. You remember chapter 5 where this church that he had planted, there was a guy getting up, sleeping with his stepmother, and bragging about it, and the rest of the church was kind of going like, yeah, man, look at this dude's liberty in Christ. His sins are so forgiven. He can do whatever he wants. Praise God, right? I don't know about you, but if my church got that messed up, I think I'm probably looking for an exit sign, right? But no, here's Paul anchoring down because he knows the person and the priority. Therefore, he can persevere. 
So watch what happens. So he's persevering. He says, I don't, we're giving no cause for offense for anything in ministry. I've tried to be open and transparent with you so you can know that all the things that are being said about me aren't true. All these false apostles, what they've said aren't true. So the ministry will not be discredited. Verse 4, but in everything, we are commending ourselves as ministers of God in much, what's he say right there? Okay, now, watch that word perseverance. That word is the anchor word for what he says for the rest of verse 4 and verse 5, perseverance. Now, if you have other versions, I have what's called a legacy standard Bible, so it says the word perseverance. That's a good translation. That's a good word to use. Uh, Some of you that have the NASB, what does your word say? Endurance, right? Which, it's a good word. Um, If you have a New King James, several of you have a New King James, um, what does your New King James say? Maybe not as many people have New King James in here as what I thought. The New King James says patience. Patience, right? All good words. It's a very rich word. That's where you see the translators sometimes have different words to describe it. John MacArthur, in his commentary, he calls it triumphant patience. I think this is a, that's a good word. Even perseverance is a good word. Now, this word perseverance, it's in the singular, right? Now, the rest are in the plural. The, the, the next nine things he talks about are in the plural, but this is in the singular. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. All the bad things he's about to tell you about in verse 4, he's able to absorb them because of perseverance, this triumphal patience. But he has this perseverance because he knows the priority of ministry, and he knows the priority of ministry because he knows the person of ministry. Are y'all hanging with me on this, right? If you know the person and the priorities, you'll not panic, but you'll persevere. I'm going to say this again. If you know the person and the priorities, you'll not panic, but you'll persevere. Paul doesn't panic with all the negative things the Corinthians have to say about him. He perseveres. Now, look right here in verse 4. He says, in much perseverance, this triumphal patience. By the way, just another reason I tell you to get saved. Not only do you have hell to miss and heaven to gain, not only do you have God right now when you become a Christian, but you have this amazing ability to be an overcomer. You have this amazing ability to triumphantly be patient, right? You have this perseverance that exists that no one else, in fact, we call it even sometimes this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, meaning if you are in Christ, you will persevere to the end. This is the, God's people have something that no one else on the planet has. Why would you not get saved? Why do you keep wanting to, I'm telling you, why would you want to miss out on this? Now watch this. Look in verse 4. Perseverance. Now, let's look at the different types of things he's persevering through. First, if you're looking at your outline, we're now on 3A. He is persevering in ministry because he knows the priority of the ministry. He knows the person of ministry. Now, at 3A on your outline, the internal things to persevere. So Paul's going through some difficulties. These are internal things he's persevering. Look at it. So he has perseverance in some internal things. In afflictions. Now, this word afflictions here, it has the idea of There's this internal pressure. There's this internal struggle, spiritually, emotionally. You ever been there before? Like just the internal struggle? He's saying, I'm persevering through internal struggles. Struggles that no one else can see but you and God. After that, he says, in distresses. That word distresses has the idea of the 
internal difficulties that come as living in a fallen world. Like, for instance, there may have been nothing that you do and bad in so many parts of life, but yet evil people and wicked people will come down on you. You can exercise every single day and have the best physical health, but that does not mean you are immune from the curses of the fall that your health will fail someday. Meaning, there's distresses that are going to happen a part of living in a fallen world. So he says, there's these internal distresses that are happening just part of living in a fallen world. And after that, he says the next word, hardships. The word hardship, the Greek word used there has this idea of you're kind of put into a very confined space and you can't go anywhere else. Any, anybody claustrophobic in here, right? Anybody so claustrophobic that you would think, I'd rather you just shoot me and put me out of my misery than lock me in a confined space. I will freak out, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Only, well, you people who, who don't like to be confined will, right? This word, diff, hardships, has the thing of internally. You feel so boxed in, so narrow. There's, you're, you're kind of basically sandwiched in between two big rocks, and you've got this narrow pathway. You want to go right, you want to go left, you can't. You're just kind of stuck internally in this one, this, this difficult, this hardship in life. Man, that's pretty bad. This is the internal. But he perseveres, even though he has internally afflictions and distresses and hardships. And not only is it internal, but now go to 3B. Y'all see 3B on your outline? There's outward things for him to persevere. What's the first thing he says in verse 5? The outward things he's persevering. What does it say? Beatings. Beatings. Here's what that means. It means you receive blows that are bad enough to receive bruises. Outwardly, he's being physically abused. Beatings. And imprisonments. Guess what imprisonments are? Prisons. (laughs) You're locked up, right? Like I'm being constrained. These are outward things. And not only that, next he says disturbances. And disturbances has the idea of disorder, anarchy all around you. If you read the book of Acts, you find that there have been times where Paul's doing ministry, and because his ministry is changing a pagan culture around, there is great anarchy and disturbance around him. So he's saying, I persevere between internal things and the outward things that happen. I keep persevering, and I'm telling you why. Because... He has the right priorities, and he knows the right person. If you know the right person, if you have the right priorities, you'll not panic, but you'll persevere. He's persevering through the internal difficulties, the external difficulties. And not only that, look at verse 5. Now, this is 3C on your outline. What does 3C say? Self-inflicted things to persevere. Now, don't think that I'm saying that that we're talking about sins, I'm talking about when you are doing ministry to people, when everything's about the glory of God and the good of others, right? I want you to know it is not going to be easy to do that kind of life. And Paul says, there's some things that are a result of my own ministry, what God has given me. Look what he says. First one he says in what? Labors. Labors. He's saying... The work that I'm doing is difficult. Like, when you read the Corinthian church, did Paul ever take a dime from the Corinthians for the ministry he did to them? Never took a dime. He worked as a tent maker. He didn't want to take a dime from them so they couldn't use that as some reason to say your ministry wasn't authentic. 
And, th- and these slimy people, <laughs> they used that and basically said, if you were a legitimate apostle, you would have taken money from us. Man, isn't that crazy, right? So he says, I've been in labors. He worked hard. You know, some people act like you can't work hard. Like, bless our hearts. You know, you can't work hard. And sometimes I'll find guys will give up on ministry and just throw everything away and just go like, man, I didn't know this was going to be hard. I didn't know this was going to be labor. You know, it's really funny. If you're in ministry or you're ever doing ministry for the Lord, it doesn't have to be vocational. It can just be anything, right? Like, I, I, pastoral ministry is hard. Life is hard. But you ever read about the Levitical priests, right? Not only do those guys have to work hard, but they had to really work hard. That was a bloody thing to do. But I'm so glad that I'm not having to cut any, any, <laughs> any goat's neck, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad I'm not having to fillet the meat that you're going to eat later on, right? But labor, it was hard. It was hard, but he was persevered. Not only that, but after labor, as he says, in what? Oh, Paul's doing this to himself to serve them and do ministry. Sleeplessness. He's saying, between my tent making and all the ministry and the travels and everything I'm doing and trying to meet for the glory of God and, and others' good, I am losing sleep. I am literally not getting enough rest. And he says, and I persevere through that. Meaning it wasn't wrong for him to do that. There were some times that for the glory of God, he, he loved sleep more than he loved the Lord. And I'm not telling you not to sleep. Because I love me some sleep, right? But he... But sometimes to do what God has called you to do, it may require some labors and sleeplessness. And he persevered through it. He didn't fold. Not, not only that, but keep looking after that. What's the next word? Hunger. Let's not talk about that one. Let's keep going. Verse 6. No, he says, I'm hungry sometimes. It, it wasn't, you couldn't just swing through to a McDonald's on the way to his next, you know, to his next mission I mean, like, being on the road, the way he traveled, he would go hungry many times, right? That's just a part of it. But if you've ever experienced hunger pains, it just, like, saps all the energy. But it's really, it's really amazing. Paul doesn't grow bitter. He grows better. All these ministry contradictions. I mean, the people that he's helping are biting back at him. And he doesn't, he doesn't strike out. He doesn't pull out or pull, pull off of the ministry assignment. He knows the person, because he, and he knows the priorities. Therefore, he doesn't panic, but he perseveres. Even through internal problems, even perseveres through outward things, even perseveres through the self-inflicted things he had to do to do ministry to these people. Amazing. Now look what it causes in verse 6. And now we're on point number 4 in your outline. It causes purity. If you know the person, the priorities, you'll not panic, but persevere. In the end, you'll walk in purity. Notice in verse 6, he says this. In purity. As a result of all these difficulties, in purity. Now you wonder, in verse 11, for a people who had bit back at him so much, look at verse 11. Our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. If we're not right with Jesus, our hearts would be closed off to people like the Corinthians. But why? Because his heart's pure. Because everything was about the glory of God and the good of others. It wasn't really Paul's ministry. It was God's ministry. He knows the person, the priorities. Therefore, he doesn't panic, but he perseveres. In the end, it produces purity. How pure? Well, look what it says in verse 6. Impurity. In knowledge. I mean, he had this driving 
desire to grow in the Lord that could not be quenched or satisfied. Look in verse 6. In patience, a continual patience when everything is about the Lord's person and priority. In kindness, and kindness isn't kindness when everybody's being kind. Kindness is being kind when everybody's not being kind. In the, what does he say? The holy what? The spirit that in him is holy is making, there's a purity that's happening. He says this, in unhypocritical love. Oh, you know, sometimes in life we love people because we love what they do for us. He's loving people who aren't really doing great for him. Look in verse 7. In the word of truth, he is growing in the word of truth, in the love for God's truth, in the power of God. He's growing in God's power. By the weapons of righteousness on the right hand and left, look at the growth that he's doing. Look at the growth that's happening. Look at the purity that's happening. The fruits of the Spirit, no less, are being played out in his life. It's interesting, isn't it? If you know the person, the priorities... You'll not panic, but you'll persevere in the end. You'll walk in purity. Now, listen, I, all of us are in different portions and places in life. But if you're growing better and not bitter, it's because you know the person and priorities of life, and you will persevere in a way that's different. And how will you know it? We'll just look in verse 11. Our hearts are open wide. You're the one that's holding yourself back, but my heart is open wide to you. What amazing ministry he could do. Now, when you, you, now that we know what happens in verse 1 through 7, now do you get verse 8 through 9? Now, now you can look at verse 8. By glory and dishonor, by evil report, good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying and yet behold, we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful but always rejoicing, as poor but making many riches, having nothing yet possessing everything. Do you see now why he could say what he said in verse 8 through 10? You know the person, the priorities. You won't panic, but you persevere. In the end, there'll be a purity. A purity so observable in your own heart and soul that you can say, Oh, Corinthians, our heart is open to you. Now, I'll end with this. Also brought up here an orange. Oh, there's an orange right here. How many of y'all like oranges? Right? Does anybody not like oranges? Repent. Right? Okay. <laughs> Now, living is not an easy thing to do. Amen? Man, living in a cursed world with an old sinful flesh that you've got to fight against every day, right? Not easy. Not easy. And I, I don't thank God for the difficulties that, that my sheep go through. I don't, I don't glory in it, but I'm not disturbed by it ultimately, and here's why. Because sometimes, I'm telling you, friend, sometimes you don't know what's in there until you get squeezed. You just don't know. How do you know what's in an orange? I mean, you know what's in an orange, but you know what's in an orange when you squeeze it, right? And sometimes in life, when you get squeezed, then you can know. Am I worshiping the person and the priority of life? It, and if you're not, when you get squeezed, what will come out? And what's going to come out is not perseverance, it's a give up. And what's going to come out is not purity, but wickedness. I don't want you to get squeezed, I don't want us to get squeezed, but there are relationships squeezing you, and it could be for the glory of God and your good. I pray that you know 
the person, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you know the priorities so you'll persevere and not panic and walk in purity. All right, would you come up here, worship team, and would you, we're going to sing to the Lord. And listen, while we, while they sing, we're going to pass out the Lord's Supper communion. We're going to take communion. And, and listen, communion is for the, who those are in Christ. Communion is for God's people. The only time it's not for God's people is when God's people are walking in open rebellion sin with, with no conviction or they're in open, defiant unforgiveness, not valuing the union forgiveness that Christ gives us, then, that, then, then let communion pass you by. But communion is for God's people to remember the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. As we sing, communion is going to be passed. As soon as we finish the song, I'm going to come up. We're going to, I'm going to lead you through taking communion. We're going to sing the doxology, and that will close our time this morning together. Can I pray for you? Pray for us. Now we come to a part, Lord, where it's, there's nothing special about this juice and bread, but it's what it represents. It's special. We need time to renew the gospel truths to our life. If there's someone here who's not trusted Christ as Savior, may they do it now so they can take this Lord's Supper. How would you do it? The rest of us may... We crucify the Lord afresh in such a way that we realize what we have in the cross. Refocus our mind on the person and priority. God, help us. Would you do it? Bless the singing of this song to you as we prepare our hearts. And God's people said, amen.